0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I will be your host for today's episode. This is episode number 117. Today, I will be interviewing an author. His name is Michael Dash. Michael Dash brings a heavy dose of motivation embedded in a message of hope for those looking to make a difference in their life's work and the world. To be on the front line of entrepreneurship, you must be bold and take risks, but the need to achieve can be as addictive as drugs with serious side effects. It can make you feel isolated, uncertain, and trapped in an emotional roller coaster ride full of euphoric highs and devastating lows. But there's a way to get back onto solid ground. Michael has had a collection of unique experiences from Chasing the High, with his prior drug and gambling addiction, to overcoming adversity when his business partner conspired against him. So without further ado, let's have a chat with Michael Dash. So Michael, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I I really appreciate you sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So the way I typically like to start um, these interviews, um, I think it's most uh, meaningful for the people who listen, is how did you get started down your road to addiction?
1: Well, for me, it started actually with gambling. At 11 years old, my uncle introduced it to me at Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Great uncle to have. (laughs) So that started a 20 year gambling addiction, uh, making that one bet with him at 11 that I actually won. It was the worst thing that ever could have happened to me. And that led me down to a path of various addictions and having the, you know, chromosomes of an, of an addict, really. I mean, my father actually had a gambling uh, addiction as well, but as I progressed, into college that's when i started experimenting with drugs and my roommate had actually um been shot um in an accidental shooting so when i came back one semester he had a room full of pills everywhere and we just started exper- or i just started experimenting with them he was explaining what each of them were so we started experimenting with that that moved on to cocaine and i really started after I graduated college, I was in New York City building my career. And I was basically gambling and doing cocaine. I was gambling every day. I was doing cocaine every single weekend. It was prevalent in the New York scene. And that really was completely out of control for me.
0: Wow. Now, Michael, I'm going to stop you because when I was reading, I don't know if it was on Amazon, if I was reading on your website, you, you also smoked marijuana. Was that pre-college or was that during college so I
1: think I I think I smoked for the first time at the end of my senior year in high school but okay. I was a pretty straight-laced kid uh, you know three sports president of the student council I was I was that kid and I kind of stayed away from the drug scene But I do remember trying it before I went to college. When I got into college, I got completely immersed in it. I don't talk about marijuana as much because it's like widely accepted nowadays. Um, But yes, I was smoking. I was doing cocaine all night on the weekends. And then I would smoke marijuana to come down from the cocaine just so I could go to sleep. So I could sleep for like three or four hours so I could wake up and start gambling again. Got it. Got it. So... So, yeah, and, uh, you know, marijuana, I've smoked for, you know, 20-plus years uh, on a daily basis. I had smoked every single day. Wow. Um, But in in, in in the kind of world that we're in today, a lot of people smoke marijuana, so a lot of people don't view it as an addiction. But anything that you do on a daily basis, anything that you are using to escape from your realities, which I was doing, it's an addiction.
0: Well, exactly. And I will tell you that um, my co-host, Jason Good, who it wasn't able to be here today on the interview, he works at a residential rehab facility here in Clearwater. And more and more now, they are getting people at the rehab at Narcanon who are addicted to marijuana because, as you know, the marijuana of today is not the marijuana of the 70s. And they have figured out a way to um, increase the uh, concentration of THC up to the 90 percentile. And it's addictive.
1: It's extremely addictive. And, uh, you know, I'm the perfect example of that. You know, I used to, uh, I not only participated in smoking marijuana and doing cocaine, but in college, You know, I'm the son of an entrepreneur and I was an entrepreneur and am an entrepreneur myself. And it started in college. I I figured, why gamble if I could be a bookie and why just do drugs if I could also deal drugs? And that's what I decided to do. So I was heavily involved not only with doing and smoking marijuana and doing cocaine, but I was dealing drugs, both of those, in college. At a very high level, with no recourse, no thought of recourse, or what the consequences of my actions could be if I was caught, I had no thoughts of that. Wow. Well, it- so yeah, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, I took I, I remember a specific trip where. I look back at it now, and I am like, what in the world was I thinking? Because my life, if I had ever gotten caught, would be completely changed. But I borrowed my father's Lincoln Continental. I'm in, I'm in college. <laughs> I'm driving a Lincoln Continental. <laughs> I borrowed it, and I took it on spring break from the University of Maryland and drove to the University of New Mexico. And I picked up 22 pounds of marijuana and transported it back to the University of Maryland and sold it. Wow. Like what, what kind of mindset that I was in at that point was, is beyond me. I can't even recognize that person right now because if I was ever caught for that, my life would be completely
0: changed. Right. It's crazy. Yep. I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. So you, you pretty much did drugs the whole time through college then.
1: I did. Um, I was able, though, to maintain a couple things. Number one, I was able to maintain a B average. Um, I would just cram all my studying into like three days before any of the exams. And number two, I had a job, so I was going door to door selling home improvements. And I was always skilled in sales. So I was always very good at sales. And it always, I had this pride attached to it and this ego that like I wanted to be the best at what I did and so I always maintained ex, you know doing a really good job at my job right and I was always one of the top salespeople, even while I was participating in all this you know these drugs and all this gambling on a daily basis in fact sometimes we would smoke before we went to work and we would be high going door-to-door selling home improvements in you know Baltimore and DC
0: wow Wow. So you obviously carried on after college and into your career.
1: I did. Um, in The gambling was a daily thing. The cocaine was a weekend thing. The marijuana was a daily thing. So I, I did that for several years a- after college. Again, I was I was doing well at my job. I was earning a lot of money. I was one of the top salespeople. Uh, I went to the sports advertising company. Of course, I would go to sports, something sports related so I could continue to gamble. That was my whole methodology. And while I was there, everybody partied and I was in New York City. So I was going to a lot of these clubs and just, you know, cocaine was everywhere i transitioned 4 years after into staffing and recruiting business and servicing a lot of the financial services firms and cocaine is everywhere in financial services with traders and brokers and all of that so i was just consistently around it so i was consistently doing it but the thing is like i did not enjoy it but i still did it that's how addicted i was huh and I never, like, my mind was always racing, or my mind was numb, so I never actually had peace in my mind to actually think about what I was doing. I was almost on, like, autopilot,
0: if that makes sense. No, it does. I I was wondering if there was any thought of the the drugs, like, helping you with your business, or was there any thought of that, that it was something that you know, enhanced what you were doing.
1: Yeah, it did not help me with my business. It was an escape or, and uh, something I could, like, forget about the business for a little while. Right. Um, until I discovered Adderall. That was a different story. And, it, you know, when you if you fast forward, I eventually uh, quit gambling. I went to Gamblers Anonymous, and um, two weeks ago, I celebrated my 14th year clean from gambling.
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. I actually lined it up the exact uh, week that I launched my first book called Chasing the High, uh, which was two weeks ago, so I could kind of uh, pair those together. So it kind of had an ex- extra special meaning to me. Uh, and then with the cocaine, uh, eight years ago, I stopped doing cocaine, and that actually... I was actually in a uh, trying to break up a fight because we were at the bars. Of course, that's what I did. And a friend of mine and some stranger got in an argument. I tried to break up a fight. I got hit in the face. I ended up breaking my nose. And I remember when they repaired my nose and I saw the bill, it cost me like ten thousand yeah. dollars. I, I decided right there I'm never putting anything up my nose
0: again. Oh, and I've boy. never done
1: and I've never done cocaine since.
0: <laughs> I was gonna one of the questions I like to ask is like what was your point of no return? What made you decide to stop? And there you go, that's what made you decide to stop cocaine and I can understand that.
1: Yeah, for, for cocaine, it was that, which is a lot different than most of the stories you hear. You would think it would be when I, you know, went to jail um, right. and got arrested. Right. Um, but, you know, I only had to spend the night in jail. And even though that was extremely traumatic, it, it didn't have that effect on me where I stopped anything that I was doing. Right. Um, it, it was just in my mind, I'm like, I need to be more careful.
0: Right. right. So you which is could-
1: just, just yeah, a crazy thought. Um, but go ahead.
0: And I was just going to say, so you quit doing cocaine. Were you then continuing to do Adderall after, your, um, after you broke your nose?
1: Yeah. So a- after that, I left New York City and followed a business opportunity to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I started that business opportunity became a business, and that's when I became a full-fledged entrepreneur, and I opened my recruiting company. While I was there, the first year or two I was there, um, some of the guys I was hanging around introduced me to Adderall. They asked me if I knew what it was, and I really I didn't. I had never heard of it. They told me it was similar to Ritalin. I knew what Ritalin was because I had taken Ritalin in college when I would cram three days of studying into 48 hours, um, uh, or excuse me, a semester of studying into three days. Right. Uh, Then I would would just be popping Ritalin all night to stay up. But Adderall was at another level, and I didn't know what it was, and I, I tried it, and I was, like, super productive at work. Like, I got so much done. So I was like, oh, my God, I have to get this. And I went to the doctor and made some story up that I was having you know, trouble uh, focusing. And I'd be in a room full of people presenting to them and all of a sudden start daydreaming. A complete lie. You know, I right. completely played the doctor. <laughs> and it was pretty easy to do. And the doctor wrote me a script. And so I was off on my Adderall journey. And out of all the drugs and the gambling as well that I did, Adderall had the worst effect on me of all of them. Because I was, yeah, I was doing Adderall every single day in my office and it would fuel and elevate whatever emotional state I was in, whether it's positive or negative. And then that emotional state would then transfer into how I treated other people around me. And that's when I really was not the leader that I could have been. I was leading more from a place of correction and of, you know, why are you making these mistakes? How, like kind of angry a little bit. Right. And, instead of a place of empathy and leadership and mentorship. Right. I wasn't doing it. Adderall would really enrage and, 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 and fuel me. Huh. So it was a lot of living... And and then when I would come down from the Adderall, I'd be smoking weed so I could go to sleep, Right. because I mean Adderall—if if, if your audience isn't familiar with what it is, although I'm sure most are—it's um, almost like cocaine in a pill.
0: Right, it's an upper. Completely, yeah, yeah.
1: completely an upper. Because and-
0: we because we know that when before children reach puberty. Drugs like Ritalin and Adderall will act as a, as a, um, depressant, but once they reach puberty, then it turns into a stimulant. So, yeah, so I get that.
1: Yeah. And when, when, but when it's wearing off, then you become kind of depressed, Ah, right? Yeah. You you go from that high and like, you, you feel like you can conquer the world and you have your Superman shirt on at all times. Nobody can stop you. You're indestructible to that like depressing low of like complete like falling falling off right right and and um yeah it just affected how i treated my employees how i treated my friends and family and you know i would i would go out and drink on it and it was very unhealthy i was actually running marathons at the time And I clearly remember I ran the New York City Marathon and I was so like mentally, I'd convinced myself I need Adderall for everything that I kept an Adderall with me through the marathon. And at mile 17, I took a 20 milligrams of an Adderall at mile 17 of a 26 mile race. My heart rate was already elevated. And then I took this Adderall and I, I remember the feeling of like, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like my heart was beating so fast. And I was actually, like, scared for myself, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, like, immediately after. And thank God nothing happened to me, um, but it was one of the most foolish things I ever did.
0: Wow. So how long were were you taking Adderall?
1: I was taking Adderall seven years straight on a daily basis, and I would completely freak out if I didn't
0: have it. Wow. Wow. So what then was your point of no return with Adderall? What got you to the point where you went, I think I need to stop this?
1: Well, I walked into my office one day and I opened my desk drawer, which is where I kept the Adderall, and I saw it was completely empty. I st- My heart started panicking. I immediately grabbed the phone, called the doctor's office, and left them a message that I need to see the doctor. I have to get my prescription refilled. They didn't call me all morning. And then I remember every single phone call that was coming in, I was picking up, thinking it might be them. Right. Well, 12 noon came, they they still hadn't called. So I got in my car and drove to the doctor's office. It was about 30 minutes away. And I go to the doctor and I'm standing in line at the doctor's office and there's four people in front of me. And I remember it felt like an eternity until I reached the receptionist. And as I got up to the receptionist, I, I'm like, hi, you know, uh, I'm, this is Michael Dash. Uh, you know, I really need to see Dr. Berman. And she's like, Michael, you called earlier. We got your message. We've just been swamped, so busy that we haven't had a chance to call you back yet. What are you doing here? I'm like, no, you don't understand. I need to see the doctor. My Adderall prescription is up, and I was in a panic almost. And she's like, Michael, the doctor is booked for three days straight. He can't see you. Okay, there's nothing we can do about it. We'll book you for next. Uh, Tuesday or whenever it was Right. I I remember going back to my car in a complete panic as I got in the car and I sat in my seat completely dejected I thought to myself what that morning had just been like for me Hmm. and that I was acting completely irrationally and that I was going crazy because I didn't have this but I just made a scene in the doctor's office (laughs) I'm a professional running a business I realized at that moment that I, even though in my subconscious, I knew it, I hadn't moved it from my subconscious to my conscious. And it was at that very moment that I realized I was addicted to it. Mm. And for, for, for the next three days, I was in my office working with my team without any Adderall. And although I felt like lethargic and everything, the conversations I was having with my team members were so much more constructive. Huh? They were so, we were like, speak. I was, I, we were speaking to each other on an even keel. I was like, empathizing with what they were going through, on putting myself in their shoes, not just worrying about me, 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 which is all I worried about before. And I was about, uh, before it was just about close every deal. It was all about money, 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 money. Right. And, I was actually coming uh, helping them come up with solutions, helping them recognize you know the path forward. This was just in three days, and actually a couple of them said to me, like, "Is everything okay? You don't <laughs> seem like you're yourself." <laughs> you're not your crazy self. <laughs> right right Wow. And so that's when I decided, I don't need this in my life anymore. Like I can't have this in my life anymore because I was going crazy. I was not treating people the proper way, and I was really screwing my body up, waking up every morning, drinking this huge coffee, popping an Adderall, smoking marijuana every night, going, you know, and in between there, going to the gym for an hour, and like, just my heart, and I have heart problems in my family to begin with, like, I, I realized putting all that together, I don't need this anymore.
0: Wow. And, and I quit. And you you just cold-turkeyed. You just quit.
1: I cold turkey because, you know, I've been through Gamblers Anonymous, so I have a foundation of the anonymous program itself, right? I understand the steps. Um, I didn't do that for cocaine. Um, I went to Narcotics Anonymous. It did not resonate with me like Gambler's Anonymous did, but I understand the program and the foundation needed and everything. And, you know, I I quit and I started talking about it more and I found other people who could relate to me. So I built a support system in in my life around this. Right. It's extremely important, you know, if you're trying to give up anything, any type of uh, obsessive or you know, a destructive behavior that you have other people you can relate to and lean on. Some people call them sponsors, but right. they could also be peers that are going through the same thing as you. Right. Um, that, and, and that you can relate on and you could talk to when you have those urges and those kind of demons creeping up on you. And so that's what I did.
0: Right. But the reason why I pointed that out is because um, one of the things that we've seen, and I know Jason has seen this over and over again, is that often when someone is addicted to drugs like Adderall, I'm just going to lump it in with what we call psychiatric drugs, you can't cold turkey. It can be super dangerous. And so... I'm, I'm wondering if the dosage you were taking, if that was considered super high, um, or if it was because you were in super physical condition, because if you're running marathons, you had to be in pretty good shape. But I know that there's a danger, and, and we've talked about this on the podcast, and you know, I've even said to listeners, you know, if your drug of choice are, or the drug that you're addicted to is um, is a psychiatric medication, you have to be very careful when you uh, when you want to come down, and oftentimes you have to step it down. So that's why I'm I'm a little bit amazed that you could just stop. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on the podcast, visit our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or you can call us at 727 314 7080. That's 727-314-7080. If you'd like further information on Narconon Sun Suncoast, call one 339 3324 That's one 339 3324 Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed? Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-866-989-4499 today and say podcast for a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. That's Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N, interventions, I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby.
1: So I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, in my case, I was able to just stop. Uh, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it um, or the wrong way to do it. I believe just in the things that I've done in my life and the ability to stop cocaine like that, that I could do that with uh, the Adderall as well. Um, and And that's just what I did. When I had three days without it and I couldn't get it, it forced me to stop right. for three days, and at that point, I just was like, "You know what? I survived those three days." I was definitely lethargic. I will tell say it definitely affected my energy level. Right. Uh, my My intake of coffee went up <laughs> <laughs> for sure, it's, and and it's still up. Like I definitely drink more coffee than I used to mm-hmm. because of it. Um, but I think because I was forced into the situation and it wasn't, you know, kind of like a cognitive thing, it was just like the the circumstances I was in at that moment, that maybe it was easier for me to just say no more.
0: Maybe and and again, I want to I want to kind of hearken back to your physical condition because mostly what I think can be the danger is the physically addictive aspects of drugs like that. So um, I think that the fact that you were able to do it, to do it, I think, is is pretty amazing and very well done. You. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, some, you know, things happen in your life and, you know, I'm very fortunate again, you know, uh, I was in good shape. I, I, you know, work out regularly. So that, that could be a very good reason why I I was able to transition off without just huge withdrawal period.
0: Yep. And so how long have you been uh, clean from Adderall? A year. A year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I will never do it again
1: because I know what will happen if I do.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So now you're, you've, you're 14 years handling the gambling and a year off of Adderall. And how many years again have you been off of cocaine?
1: Uh, So about eight years now.
0: Eight years. Okay. And so tell us now about your book.
1: Yes. So my book is called Chasing the High, an entrepreneur's mindset through addiction, lawsuits, and his journey to the edge. And it basically takes, takes you, it starts with you know, the first day uh, my uncle introduced me to gambling and takes you kind of through the various addictions that I had in my life and the fact that I was always chasing that high and trying to fill that high. And even when it wasn't drugs, like in, in entrepreneurship and in sales, like you would, like every time I closed a sale, I would get a high. So I was always chasing after these highs and, and trying to replicate them. And with cocaine, it was like, you know, I would take... Like, actually... I equate it to, it started with gambling, but gambling wouldn't get me high enough. So that's where cocaine came in. Cocaine then would really get me that high that I needed. Right. And then it wasn't one bump. Every time I did a bump of cocaine, I needed another bump. That's all I would think about is the next bump. Right. And the book itself talks about the moment of clarity I had to get me to, you know, walk into a Gambler's Anonymous meeting and the classic struggle I had. Chasing after money, uh, the fact that I was isolating myself tremendously amongst all these drugs, and I was really humiliated at my own behavior a lot of self loathing, a lot of uh, hatred to myself, and not taking care of myself. Uh, and um, when I say that, I'm really talking about my mind. Because right. even though I was physically active, but I was not taking care of my mind. I wasn't there was nothing positive going into my mind. Right. Um, I was always listening to like sports radio or like there there wasn't any mindfulness. There wasn't any meditation, any, uh, um, sound baths. If you're familiar with that sound therapy, um, things of that nature, which I was able to find. So then it transitions into me finding flow.
0: Okay. I,
1: I took a trip to Bali, which actually changed my life. Uh, about three years ago, and I heard two people speak about flow and living in a flow state by following your intuition and making decisions from your heart versus your head. And if it's not a hell yes, it should be an F no in everything you do in life. Interesting. And, and, And that's something I never heard of before, and I never really resonated with it because my mind was completely closed to anybody who would talk about flow. Or astrology, or energy, or sound therapy, or meditation, or any of that. Like, I was, I grew up on the East Coast in, you know, New Jersey and New York, and it was just, that was like some she she LA nonsense. <laughs> 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 you know, it's kind of the way I was just trained. And so when I heard this, I was in a lot of inner turmoil at that point. I was running a business that was running me. I was involved in a six year legal battle with my ex business partner that cost me over $1 million in legal fees. Wow. So, yeah, everything I had earned was, was gone. Um, so, I was open to trying anything at that point. And I tried this flow. I took their course, and they went through this whole process of clearing out your limiting beliefs by using tapping. Uh, method. I'm not sure if you're familiar with tapping. Uh, And uh, this EMDR, where you're moving your eyes back and forth, and you're repeating things out loud. And uh, so I did, even though I thought it was very weird.
0: And if I was (laughs) listening to this
1: on the other end, I would be like, what is this guy talking
0: about? Okay, listeners, something to check out. You know, it worked for Michael. So there you go. Yeah, you know what? I I opened
1: my mind for the first time to a new activity that I had heard things about, but I had never tried it myself. And I think that's like one of my big messages is tap into the power of positive curiosity and try activities that you haven't tried before. Just because your good friend, just because it didn't resonate with them, just because it didn't resonate with your spouse, doesn't mean it's not going to resonate with you. Right. Once you try it, if it doesn't resonate with you, then fine. But to have this opinion about something that you've never been exposed to is ignorance. And I lived in ignorance for the majority of my life. Understood. Yeah. So, you know, then I I took this course, it started, I was able to start manifesting things in my life, changing my life around. I ended up settling this lawsuit. I sold this business that I, I did not have a passion for anymore. And, um, The the book, you know, takes you through that and then transitions into what I like to call the habit of habit making and the importance of building strong habits in your life. And as you continue to evolve in life, moving old habits out and new habits in that resonate with you more, because the whole goal is that we continue to evolve in our existence. Right. So. You know, it's important that the the habits you had five years ago, even if they're positive, they might not resonate with you five years later. You're not the same person. So continue to pull in uh, important habits and uh, positive habits and then, um, you know, join organizations with like-minded people. I'm very, uh, I put a heavy emphasis on belonging to what I call tribes, um, their communities I have an entrepreneur community I belong to. I have a philanthropic community I belong to. I raise a lot of money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Uh, You know, I have a uh, travel community I belong to, a mastermind community I belong to. And at different points in my life, when I'm feeling certain angst in different areas, I have communities that I can leverage and I can lean on in times of, need, despair, whatever, weakness, whatever it might be. Right. And and of course, I have the anonymous, uh, you know, my, my Gambler's Anonymous group as well, if I ever need uh, to lean on them. So I think it's very, very important that we build these communities and connection with people around us, especially in this technology age. So so the book kind of takes you through all of that uh, and then lessons, lessons learned and uh, things that you can actually integrate into your life uh, moving forward.
0: Great. That's awesome. And I know that the book is available on Amazon because I saw it there. And once again, for everybody listening, it's called Chasing the High by Michael. Is it Michael G Dash or Michael Dash? It is Michael, Michael, G. Michael G. Chasing the High by Michael G. Dash. So Michael, if there was one message that you would give to our listeners, I feel that most of our listeners are not necessarily addicts, but more people who have loved ones or friends who are addicts, and they're not really sure what to do about it. If you could give them one final message, what would that be?
1: Uh, My final message would probably be uh, to lead with empathy.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And I guess we could say empathy versus enabling.
1: Yeah, 100%. I feel like in the, uh, in the, in the addiction community that there are, you know, a lot of people who um, feel like they take things personally when it's the addiction that's actually speaking. It's not the person themselves. And uh, so it's important to remember that. And to actually, you know, um, to, to, to again, just to lead to lead with with empathy because most of the time it's the addiction that's speaking; it's not really the person themselves.
0: Good point. Very good point. And Michael, you're also a public speaker, right?
1: Yes, I am. Yes, I. I If anybody's interested, I I speak to various organization, entrepreneurship groups, um, as well as, um, you know, know, college kids and a variety of uh, other communities.
0: Right. And if someone were interested in having you speak to their group, they can contact you through your website. Is that the best way? Yes. Okay, that,
1: and that, that would be
0: perfect. And that's Michael, Michael G com. Right. Michael G com. Michael, thank you so much for spending the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate you sharing your story. It's different than any other story we've had. Yet, as with addiction, there are always certain similarities. But I think that your story will definitely resonate with some of our listeners. So I appreciate you sharing with us.
1: And one final thing I wanted to mention is that I am launching, I've launched a program to work with leaders and entrepreneurs who are dealing with addictive and compulsive behaviors that are affecting them as business uh, leaders, as family members, and as friends. It's called Under My Fate Platform, F-A-T-E, From Addict to Entrepreneur, and it's a 10-week program that I've created a webinar around so people can actually listen to the webinar and find out the steps in the program and what it's about. And they could find that webinar at michaelgdash.com forward slash fate, F-A-T-E. And the webinar is completely free and I can learn about the program itself. And I'm really looking to positively impact Business leaders and entrepreneurs who are making decisions on a daily basis, maybe, every you know, decisions every 15, 20 minutes of the day for 10 hours straight, and don't have the best habits uh, and support systems around them that lead them to these negative behaviors. I've seen it rampant in the communities, and I've transitioned my life to be a leader for them.
0: Awesome. Once again, Michael, thank you so much for sharing with us today and good luck with all of your endeavors. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for listening to the Addiction Podcast today. We'll be back again next week with another interview and one of our upcoming weeks we will have... A graduate from the Narconon program that I think you will enjoy hearing from. If you like our podcast, please give us a good review, a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us out. We like to think that we are making an impact on the world by this podcast. And if you like it and it's made an impact on your life and helped you in any way, please let us know and leave us a great review. We will talk to you next week.